I'm Denise Urbans. And I'm Mike Urbans, and welcome to It's Your Water. I'm glad you found us. Today's topic is radiological contaminants in water. Gross alpha, beta, gamma, you've heard these things, but they are in your water. My water? Your water. Everybody's water? No, no, uh, in uh, well water. Mostly in well water. Mostly in well water. And that's the topic here. We're going to talk about well water treatment because it is a, a naturally occurring material that leaches from rocks and in well water. And it's a pretty popular topic, actually. But it's one of these things. We're talking about radioactivity here. Yeah. And you know, say could kill you, but I guess in heat lots of amounts it could and uh, it can get you in a heap a lot of trouble with the law it's the the dot people department of transportation hmm. mm-hmm. so who or what contaminants are the heavy hitters well for this podcast here that everybody has a privilege of listening to and subscribing to and getting a free t-shirt mm-hmm. all eight that? of you come Subscribe. on i need 16 i need 16 <laughs> subscribers a lot of listeners I know. A lot of listeners, but the subscribers. Anyway, okay, we digress. So the heavy hitters in radiological land, uranium, radium, and radon. Uranium and radium being not gaseous. And actually, radon is a daughter of radium. And these things decay. We're not going to get into this massive debate over what type of radiological we're talking about or how to deep science. Okay. That's what I was grappling for. I was grappling for deep science. We're just going to tell you basics on how to treat it. But mostly if you're going to uh, embark on the endeavor of treating for these uh, contaminants, there's some real serious stuff that you have to, a lot of rules of the road here. And for one of my friends listening out there, tools in the toolbox, I always say that. Does he subscribe? Yes. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if he's a subscriber. Is this treatment different than, say, taking hardness out of the water? No, actually not. Uh, the good news is they're easily removed. Oh. Very easily removed. And that's the problem. <laughs> Very easily because they're ionically sticky. They will adhere to the treatment, which is anion resin. And cation resin, which is softener resin, it's so easy to remove these because they're a sticky ion and that they they linger on the resins. And guess what? As they accumulate, what are we accumulating? We're accumulating radioactivity, oh, great. folks. That's not good. And um, this is the issue, and this is what we're going to help you avoid with this podcast is a glowing basement (laughs) and a glowing work truck and a glowing trash truck and a glowing (laughs) landfill, which, and that's why I say, uh, oh boy, look out because little fun fact, everybody listening here, did you know that every landfill, every modern landfill, not that one on the back 40, you pay the guy and he dumps your stuff back there and then you all get in trouble. A legal landfill has a Geiger counter at the uh, gate, and they're on most highways before major cities, like New York City. You ever hear these dirty bombs, all that? Well, they're not going to have a van full of radiological something or other head to New York City and uh, do bad harm before it 
gets tagged by a, a Geiger counter. Okay. So the tunnels, everything, they're looking out for this stuff. So can you imagine if you had removed your media and neglected your media, then you send it to waste management and they get flagged at the gate of a landfill. They know whose material that is and they, they will come sure they do. sure do <laughs> and they will come back like you wouldn't believe they you get those uh, black SUVs suddenly surround your house it's not good i'm just i'm well, exaggerating Mike, here i don't know if you remember but we had we did have experience that with this yeah we did they it was do actually test. it was an inherited problem it wasn't inherited it was not problem. ours and it, it was actually but nothing uh, we did but yeah. it's out there and you do have to be careful yeah and that's you how we found out right yeah. So we found out that everything is uh, because there was a an acquired company and uh, they weren't too. They uh, were removing radon. The, or, I forget which uh, one. Thallium, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. 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 At any rate, it, eh. it lit up the Geiger counter and they knew where to find us. Yep. And uh, paperwork so, and explanations and anyway. Um, how do we treat uranium? Is probably the, one of the most in radium. Radium is in a lot in um, rock formations, but. Oddly enough, there's a lot of radium in New Jersey, a lot of uranium in North Carolina, and then it really kind of skips around the country. Now, out west, I'll be honest with everybody here, I don't have a customer base, extensive customer base uh, west of the Mississippi. So I believe um, there's a lot out in Utah and in that area. Um, But for everybody here, it seems concentrated in North Carolina, and uh, the radon is real heavy in the Northeast New England states. And uh, radon's a whole different ball game because it has a very quick half life. It's not as nasty as uh, uranium, radium, uh, and other radiologicals out there. All the ums, eums. Eums, yeah. So, how do we take uranium out? Uranium, pretty easy. Type 2 anion, like we would use for um, dealkalizing. And uh, remember that word, dealkalizing, because our next podcast is going to be all about it. So this one will tie into that one. So you got to listen to the next podcast. Are well, there any other products that will remove uranium? Yeah, effectively. Yeah, yeah that's of what course. we want to know. Type two anion is either static or regenerable. You could use it as a throwaway. Titanium dioxide adsorbent, such as Graver's HMRG. That is an adsorbent that is a static. It can't be regenerated. It does backwash, but it won't backwash the radiological out as would a type 2 anion with the brine waste. If you, you were can, to regenerate. You can regenerate it, yeah. And uh, that's the key here. Mm-hmm. How about radium? Radium 226, 228, cation resin. And it does it quite well. And it holds on to it. And again, this is the, the thread here is that it grabs onto this. It can be regenerated, but you have to worry about the regenerate waste. Where's it going? So, oh, wait, no, uh, reverse osmosis too. So radium is uh, cation resin reverse osmosis. Radon, as they call these daughters of decay and uh, funny speak, the radioactive speak that the scientists use, but as radium decays, uh, uranium decays, it also pushes off uh, radon, which is more of a gaseous thing, which is not ion exchange. It's air stripping followed by carbon. It has a very quick half-life, and uh, it's very, very easy to bubble, spray aeration. We're not really going to discuss radon. It's a whole different animal, 
but your carbon can become hot if neglected. Any radiological you're removing, that material you're removing it with could potentially become extra radioactive. Yeah, so don't neglect the media or the job. Well, it sounds like you have some really good tips to share. Yeah, so here are the rules of the road when you want to embark on this. Mrs. Smith calls you up. We tested for uranium. My child is glowing in the crib and there's no nightlight. So what happens is there are very important tips to follow here if you want to embark on this. And uh, get a complete and thorough water analysis. This is so important to sort out the competing ions. Because when you use ion exchange, this is my pet peeve. When you ever use an ion exchange to remove one item, there's a lot of other competition in the water that's going to compete for sites. Even though these materials are very sticky, it will affect the ultimate capacity and removal efficiency if you don't get a complete water analysis and then call me or call an expert and say, oh, yeah, I got 44 parts per billion of uranium. And I'm like, okay, what else do you have in the water? Right, yeah. Because I won't touch it. If we can't model and project a resin life. So that water test is so critical. Initial test and then your post-testing. Say six months after you, your install, mm-hmm. make sure you got it right. And then uh, annual after that. Okay. Well, the six-month one, I would imagine you can estimate how much longer it's going to last. Right. Yeah. If you start seeing things climb up, you either really screwed up or there was something else in the water. It's, it's changed. Yeah. But it's a barometer, and that's what you want. And when you draw up your contracts, you tell these people. Water changes. It's not an exact science, and things can change. This is a fun little fact that I never knew, but there was a gentleman called uh, Jerry Lowry. He's retired. Yeah, he's retired. But he, yeah, brilliant uh, radiological um, PhD. And he had a company that did this. And his his partners are still carrying on doing this. He told me, he said, you won't believe that you don't realize that if you use potassium chloride, like K-Life potassium salt, and you're regenerating a uranium anion resin with it, you'll put the brine water back in to the, make up the next batch of brine, and that potassium will accumulate the radioactivity. <laughs> he said, greatly. He said, potassium holds on to uranium like you wouldn't believe. So, so your, your brine tank will okay, become a nightlight. Life. Yeah. Do not use potassium to regenerate a system, if you can regenerate a system. Here's the most important thing. Everybody pull over and, and, and stop. This is the most important fact that what happens is these materials do remove uranium, radium, and radon for a long time. It does. We'll have a formula, and we're going to go run through a formula. But the DOT, Department of Transportation, has a 335,000 parts per billion total weight permitted to run waste material over the road. So if they tested your material for some bizarre reason, and in my whole career, this has not happened, but 
we're preventing this yeah, because everybody listens to me and they, that's they right paid attention least, it didn't happen east of the mississippi yeah east of the mississippi well, there's people out west they can they're on their own. problems yeah um they're on their own 335,000 parts per billion is your permitted over the road it's not a hazardous waste otherwise it would have to be encapsulated yeah by a special waste hauler taken to somewhere out west and dumped into one of the salt mines. Probably not a potassium mine, but a salt mine, yeah. So that remember that number, 335,000. Okay, iron oxides can harbor radioactive particles and transport them to drain and or into the treated stream. Uh, so what happens is a lot of these things, iron is a really cool binding agent. I didn't really realize this, but arsenic likes to bind to it, radiologicals bind to it. It must have a somewhat of a force, an ionic pole, that uh, favors these materials. So if you got a lot of iron and you're removing iron prior to your radiologicals, you could be contaminating their septic tank with backwash water is what I'm getting at. Regenerant waste. Can I brine the resin? If we're using resin, like anion cation, can I brine it? And brining, yes, increases the life of the material fivefold. However, what are you going to do with the brine waste in you know, municipal supplies and non-commercial? If it's not a DEP regulated site or a permitted building on well water, and it's an off-site regeneration, you could run the brine down to a city sewer because it's very dilute uh, at that point. But on-site, check your local re- regulations. So indeed, it's an issue that you have to check your local regulations. How long before it's hot? Again, it's a 335,000 parts per billion as part of the DOT regulations. Half-life, here's some really fun little facts here. Just real quick. They come up, you ever hear this half-life? Before it decomposes. So uranium is 4.5 times 10 to the ninth years. Before it goes away. That's pretty much forever. Yeah. (laughs) That's ever. That's billion years or something like that. That's half before it becomes half as strong. So like something like thorium, 24 days. Protactinium, protactinium. Mm. (laughs) Yes, 1.2 minutes. That stuff's like, you know, gone. Uranium, 234 is, oh, it's slightly less, slightly less at like uh, half a billion years. It's 2.5 times 10 to the fifth. Oh, look, radium, 1,620 years. Here we go. Yeah, 1,620. Um, now, here's the thing. This is why I'm doing this, people, not just making you laugh, but radon, 3.8 days. If you have a radon-contaminated activated carbon bed, you can actually leave them open to the air. And in a matter of days and hours, the radon will off of the uh, carbon. It will literally gas off. Instantly. So just be careful and use, I guess, a carbon mask or whatever, you know, lead jock strap or something, whatever you you can use to protect yourself from any. In certain areas. Yeah. Or hang one of those dentist office, the heavy lead. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. I don't see this going anywhere. No. Okay. We're just going on and on. But that's the half-life. 
You know what they should say? 125 years, because everybody would be dead in 125 years. Yeah, but people worry about their children and grandchildren, Michael. Well, no, then they're after their 125 years, it's oh, okay. gone. Yeah. So it's like right. 125 years. They should say everything. 125 years. Well, just to make things more easy to care. remember, what I would say is 335,000 years. Then everybody because will be dead. Because that's the perfect number when you're doing these calculations. Yeah. See? 335,000 years. years. That's the half-life. She tied it in. So, okay, calculations. After we've scared the living hell out of you on taking these warnings and being dot dot your I's and cross your T's, okay? If you still want to remove uranium. But a lot of guys do. Yeah, successfully. If you still want to take on this endeavor... The resin manufacturers uh, that we deal with assign a time frame for using, we're, we're going to go for uranium, right? I said that, is 2.5 minutes of empty bed contact time. That's basically the, how many minutes you know, the water is passing through your column of treatment. So empty bed contact time is determined by the manufacturer. So a carbon manufacturer might say, I want seven minutes. This is how long it should be, seven minutes. And, but Not for uranium. No. Uranium, it's, it's, it's very sticky. In general. So it's right. very low, 2.5. So what's that mean? Okay, Mike, you know, what's that really mean in gallons per minute? So the calculation is 2.5 minutes times the customer's flow rate in GPM. So whatever their flow rate, whatever you determined it was, 2.5 times that. And then you get that number. And then you divide it by 7.481, which is the number of gallons in a cubic foot. So your constant is always a 7.481. So that's the number of gallons basically in a cubic foot. So you got your empty big contact time calculator. Everybody got their pencils out. An example would be, say the house is flowing six gallons a minute. Yeah, it's the average house. And uh, you get a water analysis of 44 parts per billion of uranium. The calculation would be, if everybody's smart, somebody already solved this already. Probably. 2.5 times 6, that's your flow rate, equals 15. So the empty bed contact time times your flow rate, 15. Then you divide 15 by the 7.481 which is your gallons a cubic foot. And that will come out to two. So you got a number of two. What's that? That's how many cubic feet of resin you'll need. So if they're saying 2.5 times the flow rate, divide it by 7.481, and you'll have that. So that, let's do another one. Yeah. So that's too easy. Say you have a house at flow rate of seven gallons a minute. So 2.5 times 7 is 17.5. 17.5 divided by your 7.481. That would be 2.43 cubic feet of resin required. So you round it up to a 2.5, which would be a 1354 tank, right? Everybody knows that. And so that's only about half the calculation. So you do your empty bed contact time to determine how many cubic feet for Mrs. Jones' house. Easy peasy. Now, remember we said Mrs. Jones has 44 parts per billion of uranium in her water. 
And what Denise, you said what thirty is the MCL, the standard by, by the EPA. Parts per billion. So she's fourteen over. Not too awful, but awful enough. So they required two cubic feet on our first requirement, house number one. So we got two cubic feet, we put it in a tank, and uh, we got to figure out what's the life expectancy of this thing. Right. When do we know? To yeah, come when back? do we know it's going to start glowing or when the DOT is going to come and get us? Remember 335,000 parts per billion? So this is where it gets a little tricky, but bed volumes is what we're talking about, how quick, how many volumes of water go through the the bed, which is 7.481 because it's a cubic foot. And so, did we lose you here? Did we lose you, anybody? You almost Everybody lost paid, me. Get I back on track me. here. Everybody pay attention. Now, remember 335,000. That was a, a critical number. You can, I have that tattooed somewhere, I won't tell you. But divide it by 44, which is contaminant level, equals 7,613 bed volumes. Okay. Now what? We convert bed volumes into gallons by dividing it, gallons, total gallons, throughput, till hot. So 335,000 divided by 44 parts per million, billion, equals 7,613 bed volumes. So 7,613 7, times, times. 7.481 equals 57,100 gallons per cubic foot that we can remove. So if we thoroughly lost everybody, get your bed volumes, times it by your 7.481, the 7.481, which is your gallons per cubic foot, and you'll get your ultimate gallons that you could technically pass through a cubic foot. Here, 57,100. And everybody's going to go, I'm just going to call you, Mike. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, so they needed two cubic feet, remember? They needed two cubic feet to remove this stuff. So two cubic feet on Mrs. Jones' 44 parts per billion will treat 114,200 gallons. So if that's house number two, it would be, you know, 2.5 would be 142,000. Yeah, so... And house number three, if it was yeah. bigger, well, it's you know. Different, but the, the, yeah, but what, you times it by your cubic feet. There are certain constants that you have to remember, the 7.481. And then if you want to stay within the radiological limits, 335,000. I have a question for you. We've built the system. We bought the system. We put it in. Do we have to have a metered valve? Yeah. Or? So many of you are probably thinking about that already. If it's a stagnant system, a standing system, mm -hmm. and that you will have an established gallon that you really think, so you should have a water meter involved with possibly an alarm or with a shutoff. You could wire it into a solenoid or something that would possibly alarm the house or shut it off. Or send, if there's Wi-Fi, send the message to the dealer. Yeah, I mean, get that's the thing. You just want to keep yourself in... Uh, for liability's sake, safe. So have some kind of warning system that would trigger. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is like, well, can we, it's anion resin and cation resin, can we re regenerate it? Now I've said previously, if you could get rid of the brine waste, yes, you can. And that 
actually increases the capacity here by five. So fivefold. So your five fifty-seven thousand gallons now becomes two hundred eighty-five thousand gallons because you are regenerating off most of your uranium and radium, but some of it's going to stick. Mm-hmm. It's going to be there. It's going to stick behind. So yes, you can regenerate it if you can safely regenerate it. And another thing about regenerating. There should be a provision that will shut the outlet off during the regeneration process because you don't want a leaky toilet to leak bypass water. Most softeners will bypass untreated water during the regeneration process. Well, that's uranium water, so you want to shut that down. So that's important. So, Denise? Yes? In conclusion? In conclusion here. Dot your T's, cross your I's. Absolutely. If you're going to regenerate, be very, very careful. Make sure that you know what is going on with the municipality. Trust that your dealer is aware of what the municipal rates are. And if they're not aware, they can find it out. Call us. And trust the frog. Trust the frog. Trust that Michael can give you a hand and and help you with with this. We're going to have an interview with uh, Ted Bag of Pure Light on dealkalizing water because when you apply anion resins, not cations, but anion resins, you can have a pH shift. And uh, we're going to try to explain that to people. Does the pH shift after you treat with for uranium then? Yeah, it could, yeah. yeah definitely. Because you're dealkalizing the water also. That's why we need that That's thorough water analysis. That's why we need part two of this uh, podcast. That'd be part two. And uh, a lot of people concerned when you're removing nitrates. Removing organic trap, the great organic trap resins, uh, dealkalizing, and you get a pH shift, and usually it's down, and people want to know why and then how we can fix that. So that's the teaser. There will be backup material on our website in case you want it. All right, good. Yeah, because this is some heady stuff, but the pearls or what we told you about. It's at 335,000 parts per billion uh, loading factor. That's so critical. Mm-hmm. Okay? All right. All right, everybody. Till next time. Goodbye. Trust the frog. Trust the frog. Trust the frog.